Are you there? Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, okay. Excellent. Loud and clear. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've uh, logged on to Skype and Miguel wasn't there, and then he said he couldn't see me, and then I just called his uh, Skype number and he picked up. So, you know, what the hell? <laughs> it's the Men in Black. I guess that's what every yeah. single other show says. Exactly. This isn't every single other show. The other night. Uh, I was, um, oh, I messaged you and said, uh, do you have time to talk? And you said, why don't you just come on the show on Sunday? I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the uh, I, I should probably play the opening in the interest of um, uh, uh, fairness and um, and tradition. I can't think of words anymore. What, what sub- supplement should I start taking? <laughs> Oh, it's me, man. I, I, I'm on the same league. <laughs> well, there are people who uh, are promoting what they call what nootropics. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, this, yeah. They, they've been doing supplement. that, yeah, since the Mondo 2000 days. But I guess they're a little more advanced now. <laughs> you will think, you know, they're <laughs> they're more advanced than what they used to promote back then. You know, I mean. Yeah, I, I would hope. I'm sure there's people listening here that know exactly what the new ones are or the combinations. It's probably some of the same things, but just the combinations. Maybe I should just start microdosing. Maybe that'll help me. Maybe. Oh, you know what? Also, uh, I remember uh, listening to Paul Stamets uh, on Joe Rogan last year, mm-hmm. which was probably one of the best podcasts that I listened to last year. And he was talking about this uh, mushroom that uh, he... Took, uh, he takes regularly, and he says that I think that it's a good thing to to prevent uh, Alzheimer's and and you know uh, any kind of like senile uh, you know dementia or any kind of like you know senior mental breakdown. I'm I'm uh, and since I'm producer, host, and uh, webmaster for Writer Mysterio, so I'm answering people like Carlos and. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Ray Toei, who who did the uh, great illustration of um, of you too, actually, and uh, yeah. the the last show I posted with Josh Cutchin, there's a picture of him where he looks really pissed off about something. <laughs> anyway, um, she says um, the uh, four mushroom complex. Yeah, I've heard about this too, and it's not uh, it's not psychedelic mushrooms. It's just regular, you know, regular non non psychoactive mushrooms. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I have heard of these. These I have heard. Uh, let's see, which opening? I guess I even shouldn't even ask anymore. Should I do the original? Because I never use that. Yeah, let's go with the OG. Okay, because it it doesn't have any. I think it just cuts right in. There's mm-hmm. no. Uh, it's just it's just Criswell right away. Let's see if we can we can hear it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It... There you go.
broke my uh, uh, rule and I'm drinking a beer. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. So short. There's there's not enough time for me to do anything during that uh, <laughs> during that intro. Usually it's the uh, you know run run in the. Uh, it's like the like I said the. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the comedian now because he was disgraced. Um, Louis C.K. saying when you when you run around the back of the car if you have kids it's a tiny little vacation. Yeah. Um, I have that when I'm running running the uh, opening. It's not really a vacation. It's just all the. It's like what did I forget to do? What did I forget? What did I not log into? What am I not looking at? Uh, you know, it's my last minute. It's a time for a last minute check. So I'll turn that back down. I ha- the only time that uh, guests can hear what's going on is when I have the speakers up, like that. <laughs> Uh, and I have those hooked up specifically just so the guests can hear whatever I'm playing in the background because it doesn't come come back through the Skype unless it's coming through a uh, uh, microphone like this. So much for the technical part of the show that nobody really cares about. Oh, James Archer says uh, there's a rule against beer. Yeah, I have a rule against having um, alcohol on my show for myself. Usually I won't drink because I don't want to get even more sloppy than I normally am. You know, I listen back to these shows, and there are so many ums, uhs, and you knows, it makes me sick. And if I, if I drink a beer, there's even more of them. So right now I'm drinking a beer. <laughs> I'm drinking a beer as well. Yeah, well, I actually, um, because uh, partially because um, Steph, uh, Steph Quick said uh, that she was uh, watching the Super Bowl with pizza and, and reading <laughs> a valet book, Confrontations, she said they went together, and I, I, by Power's suggestion, um, I thought pizza. And then in the other room, synchronistically, Sigrid said, do you want to have pizza? <laughs> <laughs> what goes with pizza? Beer. So I'm finishing off the beer, so at least there's some food in my stomach. Um, Perfect. Yeah. And I'm not watching the Super Bowl. I've never watched it in my life. I don't even know how football is played. I'm not even sure how, it, I'm not even sure how it's played. I've no... No real idea. I've got a vague idea, but not not a specific <laughs> one. And I guess is um, I've got a. There's a lot of listeners right now, actually comparatively um, than uh, than the normal. There's a higher higher than average. That either means they already know who won, or they pretty pretty sure who's going to win. Or there's a lot of people listening to the show that don't care about football. So I don't know what it would <laughs> be. Maybe the the last one that the last time that I watched the the Super Bowl. It was because uh, Christopher Ryan was in Mexico City, uh, and he invited me to watch the Super Bowl, Super Bowl with him, you know, in some uh, 
Mexico City is pizzeria, you know, by the way. <laughs> so go <laughs> there you go, another another synchronicity. And it was such a, such a delight because I, neither of us was in, uh, incredibly interested in the game. You know, I think we, we, we were both watching it, watching them as uh, kind of like uh, an anthropological study, you know, it's kind of like seeing it from the perspective of, of this uh, cultural development that kind of like uh, got the attention of so many people all around the world. But at the same time, I realized that Chris was uh, at some point kind of interested in the game because he was rooting for the Panthers. I think the Panthers lost to the Bron- the Denver's Broncos that that year, and it was interesting because to me to see uh, this is a guy who is finishing up a, a book uh, that is titled "Civilized to Death," mm-hmm. which is kind of bleak in a way that he's kind of like saying, "Look, guys, and I mean, this is it. You know, this is we're witnessing the collapse of civilization." So you will say, "Okay, see, this is this guy is a pessimist," but now I was seeing this guy rooting for a team who was. Losing, you know, miserably, and, and and not losing hope. So, so to me, it was it was interesting to see to see that. They say, okay, so this guy is not not a complete uh, uh, pessimist. You know, he 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 has room for optimism in in, in his uh, worldview. Yeah, you have to be, or eventually you'll just want to kill yourself. You know, exactly. If it gets you know, too I mean, bad, I mean, I I used to be like that. I I had I was in horrible depression. I thought everything was terrible and everything was going to hell, and I was going to hell, and not literal hell, but you know what I mean. And yeah. it just it just out of a sense of d- d- desperation, where you just say, <laughs> I don't. I'm tired of feeling like this. You um you there's something in your yeah yeah that's philosophical question the the, ba- the basic philosophical question is why don't i just kill myself right now so mm-hmm. so if you let that get too far you know you know what happens so exactly i mean in 1983 or 84 i was probably 10 or 11 years old mm-hmm. when i watched this movie the day after oh yeah right i mean and and, and for people who haven't seen it because this is a TV movie, is one of the more accurate representations of a uh, um, nuclear attack. Nu- nuclear attack yeah. between the United States and and and, and the Soviet Union. You're right. So, so uh, but it's presented from the point of view of their average people. Yeah, you know. The, the, the average citizen who listens, okay, so there's going to be an attack. So, oh my God, what do I do? Where, where do I run to? Where should I hide? Where's my family? You know, and, and afterwards, you yeah. know, how time how for another trying, one? Yeah, or a rerun? You, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. And there's, I, th- I think there's also another a, a British version. I think. Um, that was uh, produced by the BBC, kind of like uh, around the same years. Oh, okay. Right? I, I I vaguely remember there was something like I have no idea what the title. A fortnight after. No, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't remember right now. I, I I read an article about it recently. That it was it was going to be released uh, on a DVD 
mm-hmm. because it was very difficult to 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 obtain or to watch nowadays. But I remember, but getting back to the day after, you know, it completely traumatized me for life. You know, I mean, uh, I was drawing uh, atomic mushrooms on grade school. You know, like four months after uh, after I watched it, and thank God that you know. In my school, there wasn't some kind of like psychologist or psychiatrist who watched those drawings and say, "Oh my God, this kid is totally deranged," you know, yeah. because maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But I read an article recently that uh, you know there were so many people who had such a strong reaction from this movie that they started to uh, to uh, run protests and manifest and manifestations and even I think that even Ronald Reagan saw the movie and he was so touched or so moved by it that you know I I, I think that it really uh, was influential in trying to downgrade or to minimize uh, the possibility of actually having a, a nuclear confrontation by the beginning of the 1990s yeah i i think it's time for that again because people don't realize how how um it they i think they're what's the word they're not immune to it but they're deadened to it um the, the actual reality would be instead of you know they think that they can't be touched or you know it's not going to get here or it's not going to happen here or whatever but depicting that is actually happening in so, and it was just in some. It wasn't in some big city either. It was in. I think it was supposed to be based in Lawrence, Kansas. Actually, exactly. Yeah, You're absolutely uh, right. Yeah, yeah. W- William Burroughs talked about it, and he said that uh, he thought that actually having it, he felt safe in Lawrence, Kansas. He said um, uh, it didn't scare him that would happen there, even though it was based there. He said because it would just be too too obvious and pat that would actually happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, he he also said that the. Um, Somebody asked him not to get too much off the subject, but somebody asked him if uh, if he was stranded on a desert island, what he what he write what would he write about? And he said, "I'd write about in great deal detail about a ship um, coming to pick me up because it'd be the last thing that could possibly you know it it would be increasing the chances that something might happen because he was listing you know he was manifesting something that might, that was about the last thing that could possibly happen." Mm. Um. Uh, reverse psychology on the universe or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It might be time uh, again to run that or, or produce another one. There may be one being produced as we as we speak, just so people get that idea that it's not it's not some it's not some you know uh, uh, it, it's not a uh, be all end all. This is our you know this is our we have this in our hand and we will use it if we if we need to. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was the, even though the United States and Russia had the, mostly most of the nuclear weapons, and they still do, I believe. Um, I think that that wasn't the attitude of the uh, powers that be. It was kind of in the background as a you know, if everything is going to go to hell and that the world is ending anyway, we're just gonna. It was that mutually assured destruction thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem like people have that attitude anymore or are scared of it, and I don't know what the deadening of people's. Um, uh, fear about this kind of thing is uh, what that's due to. Maybe just not being reminded. Um, we were reminded every day when I was a kid because there was still duck and covers when I was a really small child. Yeah, and I had nightmares I mean, about it. 
Yeah, I mean, my my God, uh, there was this uh, so-called accident or 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 false alarm that happened in Hawaii. Yes, I mean weeks ago, you know, and and, and the way that is being portrayed by the media is that someone uh, uh, screwed up, and 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 they they raised the alarm that there was going to be a ballistic attack against Hawaii. You know, and and what's strange about it, you know, I'm, uh, is that they <coughs> only uh, confirmed that it was a false alarm after you know 37, 38 minutes. Okay, yeah, that was like twenty. And, but yeah, yeah, but strangely enough, I mean, that's what it takes for a missile that is launched from North Korea to reach uh, Hawaii. So I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm 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 putting my my you know my dust. I'm going to dust off and put my trusty old you know uh, tinfoil hat here and saying that maybe well maybe it was a false alarm or maybe maybe it was someone who was trying to run a, a, a simulation you know to try to see. Yeah, psychological test. Yeah, I've seen those. I've I've seen those uh, theories pop up online. I just haven't read them too much because, uh, well, because I haven't. Maybe I'm too lazy. But yeah, I've seen that. People are saying things like, yeah, maybe it was a dry run for the real thing, or maybe they're trying to get people used to it, or uh, all kinds of different scenarios. Um, I think there was a, a another false alarm somewhere, a very minor one, uh, within a, a few days of that. I, I may be wrong about that. Um, but, uh, maybe those should be run everywhere. Just, you know, maybe it was a protester sitting in the bunker there just saying, let's see what people, how people really react and really get it into their brains that this could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to feel like this again? No, you don't. Maybe you should say something. Maybe you should write yeah. to people. Maybe you should, you know, make a big stink about this. Um, mm-hmm. so, but there are many scenarios that can be, uh, uh, derived from that uh, that that horrible episode a couple weeks ago, yeah, I saw it. Um, actually, somebody on Facebook that lived in Hawaii, I saw them post it before it was in the news, and I was thinking, what? Jesus. So, yeah, and it, well, they. It, I think it was um, Jeremy Vaney, I think, who lives there. He just said, yeah. All I saw it was his phone. He, he said he posted false alarm. I've never been so scared in my life, or something like that. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, with, with, uh, with social media, this stuff can, you know, come out before the news actually gets it. So I, I, I really don't, uh, I really don't know what to say about, you know, how to keep in the front of people's minds that this is a possibility and it would probably, there is a very good, uh, chance it could, uh, uh, end most of the world, which is, I guess, going that way anyway, but. Mm-hmm. And, and. Now, getting back to, you know, our meat and potatoes, you know, of, of, of our interest. Yes, thank you. The idea of this phenomenon, the, the, the UFO phenomenon, getting involved with all of that, I mean, I'm still fascinated by, by those stories of UFO encounters uh, near or at uh, nuclear uh, missile silos. And apparently, you know, uh, affecting or altering the capabilities of those uh, military centers. So I, I don't know what to, to to make out of that. You know, I, I don't want to go to 
to the idea of, oh, yeah, the Space Brothers, you yeah, know. Yeah, the contactee going, idea kind of thing. Yeah, are going to protect us, you know, from ourselves. Or, you know, I, I don't know. Or maybe, you know, this is a phenomenon that somehow is attracted to high concentrations of energy, you know. Like even, even, almost, yeah, even psychological, psychic uh, tension energy. Exactly. That's you know, another so thing that's gone around for a while, that idea. Mm-hmm. So they're drawn to it, you know, and it's not because they are, you know, judgmental or they're, 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 they're trying to, 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 you know, protect us. But it's, it's just kind of like a instinct, instinctual thing, you know, almost like plankton, you know, uh, getting, you know, closer to, to uh, you know, sources of light, you know, when, 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 when uh, fish, fishing boats, you know, they, they turn on their, their, their lights and they they attract uh, you know bioluminescent uh, uh, microorganisms. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like a beacon for um, if you posit something like a, a, a external extraterrestrial or at least non-human intelligence being attracted to one places where these things are either radiation or um, places where people are very um, on high alert all the time. And it causes mm-hmm. a, you know, it, they they may act as as beacons for, um, in a in a uh, what in a psychic sense, I suppose. Yeah, 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 and also what you said, you know, that also the idea that uh, the UFO phenomenon uh, tends to present itself where in places there are there where there are uh, civil unrest, you know, social social strifes, you know, protests. Um, revolutions and such I'm, I'm wondering if we are going to see a spike of of ufo activity in the years to come now that we're having you know such a diverse uh manifestations of of unrest you know we uh, we have immigrants that are trying to escape from places where there's been you know civil war or unrest, you know, they're they're, they're literally trying to, to 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 save themselves, and 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 they are going to places where they are not welcome, and there's also you know all this uh, this rise of nationalism, this rise of uh, of uh, xenophobia, if you will, you know, the, the, the countries that are fearful of this flow in this human flow uh, of people who are being you know uh, kicked out or, out of their homes and that that is kind of like uh, they some people see them as a, as a threat to their way of their way of life to their you know their their cust- their, their customs of their, their, their of their usual culture and I wonder if this is something that could speak uh, cause a spike of uh, what we call a paranormal activity. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the, the, uh, Chris O'Brien pointed out to me, oh, I don't know how long ago, uh, a, a multiple times actually, he said that there is a, uh, he was looking at uh, cycles of uh, paranormal, specifically UFO activity uh, flaps. Mm-hmm. He said they seem mm-hmm. to happen um, when military... There's a there's a stand down and the military is coming back home, strangely mm. enough, being shipped back home, or during a regime change, like a you know presidential 
um, shift of, especially shift of party, um, mm. it spikes. So I don't know. I mean, the um, I, I hate to bring it up, but the uh, a few people have been telling me, and also uh, I listened to the Hal Putoff uh, uh, Eric Davis thing the other night because I was working it uh, on Coast to Coast, and they talked about other other events with these strange <clears throat> the Tic Tac type UFOs showing up in a lot of places. Um, whatever you think, and you know whatever you want to believe, or whatever you think they're you know they're trying to propagandize into something, whatever. But they and a few other people I've talked to said, yeah, there's a there's an uptick now in um, in the last few years, especially mm. this last couple of years in uh, military encounters. So, well, maybe they're just saying that to get more funding. I have no idea, but mm. uh, somebody actually pointed. Oh, God, I don't want to talk about this. One, somebody actually pointed out the other day on one of the um, forums I was looking at that uh, that uh, if you call something a threat, you get uh, you get funding for it much more than if you call it an anomaly or a mystery. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean. Uh, isn't uh, that what the, they train women to, to say, you know, when they're being assaulted, you know, to, to shout fire, <laughs> you know, because that's why when, when people would show up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let, let's, uh, it, it's, it's the, it's the beacon that works to get people, uh, another beacon, but to, to have money flow into whatever they're looking at. I mean, there's, a, there's another side of this for all of my bitching and moaning is that um, it's still a group of people that are trying to find out about UFOs through, their, through, uh, through channels that are available to them. And one of them is if we throw more money our way, maybe we can find – and it's a selfish – I think it's a selfish uh, uh, wish and need on the part of some of the people that are in this, like, like you know, uh, put off and – and Chris Mellon, and maybe even Elizondo, who's the who's the uh, spokesman for their their group. It sounds it seems like uh, DeLong isn't really a spokesman anymore for probably exactly right. obvious you know, reasons because like, of the DeLong thing. I mean, so, yeah, I'm sorry, so, like so, Joe Rogan. Yeah, it seems like Elizondo is it's been groomed to become the the new spokesman of this group. Well, he knows he he speaks well on the thing, and he speaks with authority, and he doesn't say. Uh, he doesn't post uh, uh, links to questionable and also outright uh, proven hoax videos. So yeah. um, maybe that's uh, that's has something to do with uh, why he was on with uh, George Knapp the other day. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to, uh, you know, we've talked uh, at great lengths about all, all of these, what these guys have uh, shown so far. And I think that the really interesting thing is the mentioning of, of, of the recovered items, you know, metal alloys that supposedly are being kept by Robert Bigelow, you know, in some warehouse that he had to kind of like upgrade it or, 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 or augment using part of the money that, you know, that he received from, from the Pentagon. And, you know, I've I've been thinking about uh, about all of this and I'm thinking about uh, the time that I got to uh, speak with uh, Jacques Vallée uh, about all of this. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking that you know all of this seems to be more. Uh, Mine's loud. 
Wait till that oh, goes wow. by. Yeah, it's funny. Every time I hear a helicopter coming toward, well, every time, most times I hear a helicopter heading towards me. For some reason, it just starts circling near the house. This time, I think he kept going, which is rare. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I feel about if if these guys have actually, you know, get kept these kind of items, that I have the suspicion that these artifacts have more in common what with what. In parapsychology, it's called uh, upwards, you know? Mm. You know, these things that are manifested by, you know, mediums while in trance, you know? And, yeah. and you know, there's talks about, you know, uh, gurus in India who are uh, capable of manifesting something that is called vibhuti. Yeah, uh, Sai Baba does this, apparently. Yeah, People exactly. You know, and... Sai Baba is a, is a very controversial, you know, figure. You know, there's there's claims, and I think those claims are are well grounded that you know he's he has abused uh, people in, in in his circle and all of that. There are also other, you know, people, other mediums. I was listening to a, a recent uh, a podcast by by uh, Mysterious Universe about this German medium that was capable of, of manifesting gems, you know, yeah, out of his hair, out of his, you know, mouth, almost like coughing them up. And I, I feel, I'm thinking, well, you know, what does that mean? You know, the idea that someone is able of manifesting, you know, this very massive amount of, of, of matter, you know, uh, uh, what does that entail? And how should we proceed with that and, and, and consider things that we observe in the UFO phenomenon? You're um, moving into uh, uh, Topa territory. Probably. And the other thing, when you first said that, I was thinking, that sounds like somebody that's just doing sleight of hand. Something comes out of your mouth. Magicians do that all the time. Something comes out of your oh, hand. Yeah, you obviously. can conceal it. What would be really interesting if he could do it um, is pretty much on command in differing laboratory settings and that he gave the gems to the people when he, uh, uh, if they were genuine, just give them to people. That would really prove that he's actually ma manifesting them because that if he could just manifest them at will, then he doesn't really mind to give them to people. If he's not manifesting them at will and they're real, he's got an endless mm -hmm. su supply of money or something. <laughs> I'd really Didn't like to find. I've heard about this, you know, kind of thing for a while with, you know, different people, uh, mystics in India, in India, etc. And it's been going on for um, thousands of years, this kind of thing. But it'd be nice to get somebody like this into a lab setting and see what happens. Well, th here's the thing, Greg. That I with, see, with friendly I, researchers, because that seems to help. Apparently, there there being, uh, you know, uh, and and uh, a. Tr an attempt to try to bring this kind of, this kind of uh, phenomena into the lab and trying to observe it, you know, using the, the, the scientific method. And I don't know if you remember that even your friend Robert Emenegger mentioned something like this uh, in one of the last times that he was on, on, on Radio Mysterioso. And, you know, mainly he was talking about, obviously, you know, the whole thing with the Holloman uh, Air Force uh, Holloman you know, landing film? 
yeah, the, all of that. But he also mentioned in passing the idea that the Chinese were very interested in uh, back in the 80s in researching uh, paranormal phenomena and and the idea of of of, of uh, researching people who were apparently capable of manifesting or 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 transporting uh, physical objects yes into 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 the lab and into in in closed settings and you know using all kind of measures to to try to ascertain that it wasn't you know like you said you know sleight of hand or some kind of parlor parlor trick or some kind of like mischief and apparently yeah my friend my friends in mysterious universe said that people in this the cia also tried to research this Mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't know if if all of this someone has been trying to connect it with the ufo phenomenon i think Someone should should have done it by now. The idea that someone should have uh, reached the point to say, well, you know, this UFO phenomenon is in a way closely linked to ESP and closely linked to, you know, phenomena that is being, you know, uh, presented by some extraordinary individuals like, I don't know, Ingo Swan or, I don't know, some... Uh, that serious, you know, people who are actually capable of doing, you know, extraordinary things. Actually, I think in one of the last, I don't subscribe anymore, but I used to subscribe to the uh, Society for Scientific Exploration Journal, and there was an article in there uh, by Chinese scientists saying, look, this is what we're doing, this we found out, and it was uh, their claim uh, in a lab setting was that they had a person there that uh, said that they could do what are called a ports. That's what we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. And um, was making pieces of paper with messages that the, that the experimenters thought of right as they were sitting there appear on mm-hmm. pieces of paper inside uh, 35 millimeter film canisters. Um, so mm-hmm. for instance, they'd be sitting in a lab setting or in a room and one of the researchers would say noon blue apples or something like that. And then the, and they would, and the guy would concentrate for a bit. Either that, or they'd just look over in the corner, and there'd be a. They, so they said, a thirty-five millimeter film canister, well, those plastic ones that used to get thirty-five millimeter film in. They go pick it up, and it would yeah. have the thing the guy just said written on a piece of paper inside. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's what they were claiming had been happening, and I didn't hear any more about that. But of course, you know, it's from China. It's from Chinese researchers. It's a. I don't know how well they vetted it for the SSE journal. I, I guess as well as they could, but. I haven't seen any any more about it. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's more about it and more um, laboratory setting stuff. Actually, I don't know if Yuri Geller was ever did a ports. Did he? I think he just did affecting matter that was already there. He wouldn't have stuff show up in his um, uh, show up anywhere. It was always, you know, the, the famous one I thought was bending the nitinol um, wires yeah, inside yeah. sealed glass tubes, which I had a mm-hmm. big argument with. Uh, big argument. I had a discussion with John Shirley once because he thinks that Geller is 100% absolutely proven fraud every single time. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, well, not really. I mean, sometimes yes, but not all the time. And he said, well, one time means he's a fraud. That's real easy. That's a real easy way to, way to take if you don't really look at, you know, unless the guy does it right in front of you. Well, then, you know, you could still, I guess, think there must be some trick. Um, 
The problem is that, you know, that makes all the rest of the things he does look bad when he tries to do things um, by sleight of hand when he can't get the thing to work, which, mm-hmm. which you know, according to him and some researchers, it would only work sometimes, not all the time. So that's a problem that's run up against. It's also that's a problem that's run up against with the UFO thing. You can't uh, you can't make it exactly. appear on demand unless you're Jeff Ritzman. <laughs> <laughs> and another reason why I've even though uh, people say it's stupid and not good and uh, non scientific and all that, I I think it's something that should be pursued. And that might be you know that I think that's part of the mind matter connection uh, with UFOs is the fact that if you can imagine something and try and bring it into existence, that possibly something does get brought into existence. I don't know for sure if it works. I haven't tried myself. I don't know if I want to try it myself, but people that I trust say that it, it works occasionally. So I think there is a, there's a connection there and it might have something to do with that uh, uh, information theory. I was talking about, um, mm-hmm. Uh, in lectures and on this show and all that, and in in the piece in um, Reframing the Debate, um, where John Wheeler, the the famous uh, physicist, Nobel Prize mm-hmm. winning physicist, said that he, at his, near the end of his life, the last 10 years, he was saying, I think we live in a, in a universe that is basically brought in, you know, in a very simplified way, if you want to explain it, is brought into existence by our looking at it. Exactly. So... You know, if that if that's the case, a lot of bets are off, and the model we have of physics and the way the universe works is self-referential, <laughs> and and mm-hmm. not and not, it's dependent on laws that we have brought into existence, which is a I mean, a, a scientist would probably scream at me, a mainstream one would <laughs> yell at me and say I was a complete insane and I was believing in woo and gobbledygook and it's never been proven, but I think. Some people way smarter than me are starting and have been thinking in that way for quite a while. I'm still trying to get my mind around it because it sounds like sophistry when you when you say it. It sounds like an excuse for every every um, kind of uh, charlatanism you can think of. But I'm still trying to understand it and see how I can work it into um, what I think about the phenomenon. I've listened to... Uh interviews with Jack Ballet in which he said you know that that he felt that the UFO phenomena the UFO phenomena kind of was hinted to the fact that our reality was only as uh, a small subset of a bigger reality yeah probably one of the, the the most important things you will be ever heard in your whole life you know i mean it's, it's like saying yeah you know plato plato was right you know the gnostics were right you know, this this world is a, is an illusion. It's a, this reality is just a bigger set. It's a, it's a small subset of a bigger reality or or a super geometry. You know, using uh, uh, Thomas Fusco. You know, Thomas Fusco is a guy who who also has been writing about about all this stuff. And great, now yeah, I got to read his stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, you can find it. You know, and and. No, no, I'm doing uh, research to try and uh, start this project, so mm-hmm. uh, or continue it. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I feel I feel that is what uh, more and more. Th- 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 this is the place where I, what I'm moving myself to towards. Right, you know, this is where I'm I'm finding myself that I'm that I'm that I'm arriving. You know, in my conclusions, yeah, that saying, yeah, I mean, 
this world, I mean, UFOs are real. And if, if UFOs are real, therefore we are the illusion, right? You know, because UFOs seem to be co- to come from from a, 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 a some place that are it's more real than this reality, and and in a in a way that's also uh, correlates to the things that the people who have experienced near death uh, also you know report you know that. Uh, Near-death experiences are very varied. You know, they're not as homogeneous as you know uh, popular culture will uh, like us to believe. Yeah, just like the but, UFO thing. Exactly, but there's one commonality, and there's the, the idea that when people who experience this, they they report that the experience feels to be more real than you know uh, common reality. You know that, that, that there seems to be in in a in in a place of either a place of hyper reality or a place in which their senses are you know functioning it at an uh, accelerated or uh, at an, an increased rate. You know you will you could say that their perception is not dulled or filtered down. By you know the the normal function of of their brain because well you know their brain is not is not functioning at that time because the brain is dead yeah uh, so I don't know I I, I think there is this common link between all of these and the idea of yeah you know the the idea of of, of information being more the, the the actual you know basis uh, of reality that we basis of reality yeah I we mean, are you we're, go with that. yeah everything's brought into existence through an undifferent uh, from an undifferentiated field of uh, information that just sits there in in a potential state until we start until we look at it or think about it or you know do something with it or interact with it then it becomes what we think of as reality when you said you know more real than real and I was thinking maybe it's because your perception something things more seems more real because it's bypassing a lot of the normal perceptions so you're experiencing something on a level that is not just based in the five senses it's either based on something that's after that apart from it or all of them together or some combination of those things which makes it seem quote unquote more real mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't think it's any more real than us sitting here talking right now it's just a different version of it being apprehended by a different set of uh, senses, a different set of things that you use to find out about the world, but you're, you've gained access to it either by accident, possibly in a UFO encounter, or well, even by accident too in a in a near death experience. It's not you know unless you're actually really old and just dying of old age, you're going to die. But um, mm. it's it's you. I know people who've said they can induce it. Uh, I, inter- I interviewed this guy, Dr. August Reeder, who was an ophthalmologist, and mm. he said he'd had a near-death experience, it, uh, experience and then induced it, actually, um, on, uh, not on demand, but he induced it by uh, s- slowing his breathing down. And uh, oh. he, he had actually said he had put, put himself into two further near-death experiences just by trying to do it with a, with a method he developed uh, for himself. Um, and you know, I had no reason to disbelieve him. He was, he, I actually went down and met him, take pictures of him at Cedar Sinai, which is a big 
very big, important, you know, all the celebrities go there, um, hospital down here, like uh, a couple miles from me. Um, he wasn't a kook. He was a, he was a, <laughs> he was a credentialed practicing professional ophthalmologist, but he also had an NDE and, and described what it was like and what it was like to induce it again. It's in the excluded middle book. I'd have to read it over again. Very interesting. Yeah. So more and more, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm getting to equate the UFO phenomenon with, uh, psychedelic experiences, you know, these, these very extreme, uh, circumstances in which, uh, the, the person is forced to, you know, enter into a non-ordinary state of, state of consciousness, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's because, you know, with the UFO uh, experiences, maybe it's because when you are encountering so- something so alien, so out of your ordinary, you know, you know, the, you know, habitual, you know, state of mind or your, 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 you know, your routine that it's almost like throwing you out into some kind of almost dreamlike or hallucinatory state, right? You know, it's, I don't know, it's like, imagine you are, you are going to work, you open your door and you walk out to, to the street and you see a dragon, you know, like staring right out at you mm-hmm. and, <laughs> what will that do to you? You know, you you will completely be baffled, and you will, you know, I, I probably you will, your ordinary senses will cease to function. You know, and probably may, maybe that's what happens when you have a, a UFO experience, and maybe that's what why people uh, of the UFO close encounter. So, is so resemblant of of dream dream like logic, yes. you know, because you know when you are encountered with something so alien, you know the mind ent- uh, is forced or, or or is you know is conducive to go into that kind of like uh, uh, state of, of of consciousness. I don't know. Yeah, like something goes wrong with a computer and suddenly enters the dark web by accident. <laughs> kind yeah. of a thing, um, yeah. which is why, yeah, and then, of course, there's a large amount of literature. I feel like we're saying things that have been said by many people many times, including us, but there's a large amount of uh, literature and uh, accounts of people having head injuries and suddenly becoming psychic, talented, mm-hmm. turning mm-hmm. into basically what you would call a savant, except they have, you know, and sometimes they lose their old, old personality or they become a completely different person and... Um, people don't even recognize who they are anymore, even though that even though I guess they can remember the rest of their life and all that. But now they're like they took on somebody. They switch channels on a person on, on a personality by having yeah. their head messed with. Yeah. And I don't know if that. Uh, I don't. I know that people who, uh, who have experienced a close encounter, you know, uh, experience, you know, that some people have reported changes in their personality. They have reported an right. increase in creativity, you know. And at the same time, you know, like Jeff Ritman said, you know, uh, they have also experienced, you know, a total wreck of their, you know, normal routine. Mm-hmm. They will see, you know, their 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 marriages, you know, being, uh, you know, torn down. They will lose their jobs. Maybe they will lose their house. You know, they will have to move 
move out to a different city. You know, it's yes. is is this idea of, of disruption, you know, from from your normal state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> we have talked about the the idea of okay, let's see how could we elicit that, you know, because there are some right. of us who are stupid enough that. Or actually seeking that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you should be if you if it can be done almost on demand. I think that a, a change, a sea change, will happen just because people will say, um, "Well, I've instead of thinking or theorizing something's going on, I know something's going on." But the step after that is to realize it's come through thousands and thousands of different personalities and changes and 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 sets and settings, if you want to use drug terms, and mm-hmm. that you're all kind of looking at the same thing, experiencing the same thing, but you're looking at it through your lens. And the danger is not to say that my lens is the correct one, or if you haven't experienced it the way I have, then your uh, experience is not legitimate, which is I, I think is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I also have a problem with, uh, I've been seeing rumblings here and there where people have uh, been on forums and on, on Facebook and a few other places saying they're really against this uh, so-called, what's the word, non-scientific way of looking at it, um, <sighs> re what we've just been talking about. This has to be solved with science and data, not with this mumbo-jumbo and this, and this satanic stuff and this, uh, and it, <laughs> and this occult crap. You know what? At this point, I'm going to take my T-shirt's advice and do not engage. I really don't give a shit if you think it's not useful. I think it's very useful. It's just as useful as the, as the scientific uh, approach. I don't know if it's more or not, but the, you know, to me, this is like a left brain, right brain thing. Your left brain does things great, and your right brain does things great. If you're a truly well-balanced individual, and both sides of that thing are working, you know, you turn into a Leonardo or a you know, or or, or um, I I dare say people like you know. Dean Radin, who I brought up recently as somebody who's, uh, I think, a perfect balance between a creative and a scientific mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought if you could apply this to UFO research and the two sides could talk to each other, you know, what's the corpus colossum in the, in the UFO community? I have no idea. Maybe it's us. But mm-hmm. just to get these two sides to talk to each other, you know, the, 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 the so-called occult and uh, psychological and uh, esoteric side and the scientific data-driven side. And there's precious few people that are comfortable with their feet in both camps or even comfortable to talk to the other camp. And I think that has to change. I, I don't have to. I mean, there's no have to anything. But I think it would be nice if that kind of thing was more prevalent, that th- those two approaches could be both advising, you know, advising a better understanding. If you get what I'm saying, which I think you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, what we're, what we're calling for is experimentation, which I don't know. Last time I checked is one of the first or the more, more important tenets of the scientific method. You know I'm saying? Yeah. Let's try to, to, to elicit or try to coax, this thing to, to, to manifest, you know, I mean, and, and there is ample, you know, uh, traditions, you know, from different cultures, you know, going back for millennia mm-hmm. and trying to, 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 to call or to manifest a phenomenon or even if, if there we say entities, you know, into existence, you know, this yeah. from, from the, the, the arcane traditions of the West or the east mm-hmm. and you know 
the now the the, the, the prevalent uh, uh, scientific materialist paradigm says, well, you know, that is nothing but superstition and nonsense. We shouldn't pay attention to that. But is that really the scientific thing to do, to discard it away and saying, yeah, there's nothing of value in all of that? I don't think so. I think that the scientific approach will be to always be curious and always say, wait a minute, yeah. maybe, you know, uh, buried beneath, uh, yeah, maybe uh, distorted interpretations, you know, you know, cultural bias and all of that, there is something that could be useful. Yeah. You know? Even if you don't know how something works and it's not explained by whatever your paradigm is, if it does work under repeated, you know, trials, it means that there's something going on. You just don't know what the mechanism is for it. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't think I'm mistaken in saying that people have been doing these kind of experiments, calling up uh, spirits or elementals or whatever for a long time. And it works. I think I've seen it work with people. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't experience it in the way they do, which is also kind of a problem. It doesn't conform to... This is the way it works for everybody and works this way every time. I don't think it's ever going to work that way. Well, at least not while we're alive. Um, and that's, that's part of the problem. People have to be okay with the, um, the ambiguity of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there are many factors that we have to take into consideration. One example is, you know, uh, geography, you know. The idea that maybe, you know, the phenomenon is easier to coax or easier to manifest if you are under certain, you know, uh, environmental conditions, you know, they're more optimal for it. You know, whether, whether it is, you know, if you are in, on a given place that that is, you know, uh, uh, more conductive. To, to the appearance of the phenomenon, or maybe, you know, even there's a, a, a given time of the year in which, you know, there is also more conducive. Uh, we don't know, you know, I mean, there's a reason why people in ancient times used to erect temples and, and, and stone circles and, and places that they used to revere. Now we we call them you know places of power or we call them you know uh, you know nodes or we yeah we window use areas like, or uh, what's the I mean, one exactly. in Sedona um, uh, portal I don't know what they call them there I can't remember what the Sedona thing is but yeah mm -hmm. areas where the you know get get a portal area and somebody that's good at it and a certain time of year and all that, and I'm I'm sure this has been tried it's mm -hmm. just that there's an, another part of this too. I think the more you talk about it and popularize it and get more people in on it and the bigger crowd that gathers, I think it diminishes the effect. I, I mm. kind of hate to say that, but it it seems like you have to come to this in an individual way and then and then uh, examine it, uh, do your uh, your uh, what's the word? Um, maybe do some of your uh, debriefing in a small group or a little bit more mm. publicly, but I don't think you can sit there with like 50 people. I lost Stephen Greer and say, let's do this because 
one, I don't think it's going to work. Two, if it does, it's only a few people are going to see it in a certain way. And three, and if everybody does see the same thing, it starts to worry me. I can't put these things in exact words. And I think putting them in exact words probably is not possible, at least for the ideas I have about it. I've never been to one of those, you know, steaming careers, you know, uh, CA5. I haven't either. Uh, I, I, maybe I've I shouldn't speak. Killed. I've never, I've, I've know people. I I know people who have gone to those places, and they report, you know, uh, some kind of activity. Yeah. I don't know if that's because you know of preconceptions, or maybe they are deluding themselves. You know, maybe they're they're seeing a satellite. Yeah, or something saying, really oh happens. God. Yeah, or something really yeah. happens. I don't know. I've I've talked to people where they said something really incredibly not a satellite. Not. I mean, absolutely not. This stuff did happen, and I've talked to people that said nothing happened, and people were saying they saw things and they didn't see anything, and other people said nothing happened at all. And I've also been on so-called saucer watches or UFO watches where people are pointing at everything and saying, what is this, what is this, you know, what is that? I was with somebody that was leading one of these groups, a friend of mine, it was a woman, and we were out there, and people are saying, oh my God, what's that? And I said, it's a plane. And people would get mad. Well, how do you know? I said, it has a green light on the right side, a red light on the left side, a black, flashing red light on the top, and a white one in the front. That's an airplane. <laughs> well, how do you know? I said, because I'm a pilot, and I'm supposed to know that. That's what planes look like. <laughs> and after two or three of these, she took me aside and said, these people paid to come out here and see something amazing. Could you please not say uh, this stuff anymore? <laughs> you ruin it for them. <laughs> And so I did. I mean, to be polite, I did because I, you know, what am I going to do? Change their mind or ruin their time? Or I, I don't, I don't mind if they want to be deluded about it. But I've never seen anything <laughs> like that. And like you said, this probably happens a lot. Also, people go out and see things which are unequivocally weird and not explainable as airplanes. Absolutely, I've heard of this. I haven't, I haven't experienced it myself, or I'd have talked about it on the show. So you know, I can believe or think I believe or be open to the possibility that when you are looking into the night sky with a bunch of people or trying to manifest something, maybe something happens occasionally. It's hard to know what goes on, though, because most of these things are organized by people with an agenda and who charge for it, which automatically makes me, brings it down a bunch of rungs for me. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're also, we're talking about this as if it it was something uh, that was completely controlled by the people who are trying to manifest it, you know. But what if yeah. it's, yeah. you know, what if, <laughs> what if the, the phenomenon has a mind of its own, you know, which is, you know, the, what I'm, I'm leaning to, you know, the idea that, yeah, this phenomenon has a mind of its own and sometimes it doesn't want to be controlled, it doesn't want to be spied on, you know, it doesn't want to be photographed, yeah. you know, want to be recorded on, on your goddamn, you know, uh, cell phone. Yeah, it's self-negating. People have talked about this quite a bit. I think we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. In I mean, the way that we want to look about it, in many ways, it's self-negating. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's this guy uh, by the name of Sixto Paz. He, he is a Peruvian contactee, mm-hmm. right? Who is one of the most important Latin American contactees in right. the, I think, you know, in the last 20, 20, 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. And he started his career, it's interesting, you know, they, he started a group and, and they started to, to have these, his contact experiences first through 
automatic writing, you know, which is very thrilling because, you know, say, okay, you know, th- these guys are, are using exactly the same methods as spiritualists were doing to contact, you know, the spirit of the dead or the, uh, you know, the higher beings or the ascended masters uh, 50 or 70 years before them. But now they're trying to contact uh, uh, space beings. Yeah. And, and apparently, you know, they, they, they managed to be successful and they started to have this contact with, with beings that they they said they were coming from Ganymede, you know, right? This this moon in Jupiter, yeah. which, you know, if, if, if you now we would say about it, you know, it's, it's totally bonker. I said, what, what, you know, I mean, you know, what? beings in, in, in one of Jupiter's moons is, is, is lunacy. But then there was still, you know, kind of like uh, normal or, or more logical than if you were saying, yeah, there, there was, there's beings from Mars or there's things from Venus, as the, that people in the, in, the, in the golden age of the Kantaki era were saying. But yeah. here's the thing, you know, the, the, this group... The, this guy formed was which was called the Rama group, you know, el, el, el grupo Rama, and they 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 ask people from the media, you know, newspapers and TV channels and whatever to to come to the to a desert, you know, the Atacama Desert in Peru, yep. because they said that you know the the, the space beings will you know will appear, you know, that the, the, they when, will be like when was this. Uh, I think it was 1975. Okay. So there were a, a few, you know, newspaper journalists and and and, and reporters who who went there, and obviously, you know, people were were there and they stay a few days. Nothing happened. Everybody say, "Well, this is total bullshit." You know, what a waste of time. They left. Some stubborn people stayed there. And that's when, you know, they actually managed to record the strange, you know, l- l- luminous events in the horizon. You know, no, so not an actual, you know, the typical landing of a, of a flying saucer like everybody wants to see, but something strange nonetheless. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, what does that say, you know, that... There are these people who are waiting to something to happen. It doesn't manifest then. It manifests after most people leave. You know, so there's the self-negating truth <laughs> yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and still this the the, the 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 what if you know sense of it. You know, it's 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 so so confounding, you know. Yeah, that's that's actually what Jeff said. It's it's you know, I, and we've repeated this on the show. That uh, well, people that do this experiment invariably, something will happen when they've given up. They don't expect it exactly, and it's not what they wanted or expected or even imagined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, he gave the I mean, he gave the great example. He goes, "Well, you might see a big ship with lights on it, but more likely, you'll see a big black shape go across your field of vision, and you'll go, whoa, what was that?'" Yeah. <laughs> Hence my T-shirt, mimic the obliqueness of the subject. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, 
Hey, um, all this beer and 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 uh, speedball uh, espresso soda I've been drinking make, makes me have to go to the bathroom. Uh, can I? Do you want me to play a song, or you just want to sit here with like silence and like and? <laughs> yeah, play a song. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave the microphone on so you can hear me walk into the other room. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think? What about uh, Afuera by uh, Caifanes? I'll uh, run this right now, and uh, I'll be back in probably about a uh, about a minute or so. <laughs> okay, be back in a little bit. Mm-hmm. fade it mm-hmm. well you got more than half of it uh two three minutes mm-hmm. out of 447 so mm-hmm. i didn't understand any of that except for afuera means over there or something like that <laughs> like outside yeah it's uh it's a good it's a good time what's the song about ufos uh no it's about damn it <laughs> trying to very quickly uh, uh, translate all the lyrics in your head to try and give me a... it's about yeah it's about uh, a, 
given assumptions and how, you know, reality tends to kick you in the ass, I guess. Mm. Something like that. Well, that's a good uh, that's a good theme for this show. I should look up the yeah. um look up the uh full translation of the uh of the lyrics. But before the show I actually wrote to Miguel and I said, What the hell are we gonna talk about? And he said, I don't know. I said, You're the one that asked <laughs> to be on the show. Think of some stuff. But I did write a bunch of stuff down. He said, Why don't we talk about who's gonna be at the UFO Congress? And I said, oh, there's not too many people I want to see there. But it turns out I kinda even if I don't agree with them, like Steve Bassett, I probably don't really care what he has to say. You know, or uh, I don't. Don Schmidt don't really care what he has to say. Um, who else? Uh, Robbie Graham don't care. Oh no, wait. Wait. <laughs> 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 uh, I've gone to a lot of le- uh, of conferences. You know, I mean, I w- my first big, you know, paranormal or alternative conference was the Paradigm Symposium. And, you know, I chose to be there, you know, like a good schoolboy and listen to everything that was there to say that maybe at the end of it, I say, you know, that wasn't really interesting. Or, you know, we will say, you know, that was a lot of bullshit. <laughs> I'm not really, I wasn't, I, have, I haven't had the luxury to be that discerning, you know, because if you go there, I mean, as a Mexican who has to go there and spend, you know, a thousand dollars, you know, in total to to attend a UFO a, a conference, you're not going to say, yeah, maybe I, I I won't see that, or maybe you know I I will, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be there, you know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't mind to listen to to things that. I, I, I've never been to a to a conference in which I said, you know, this is total bullshit, and I, I'm 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 going to you know get up and and not pay attention to this anymore. Yeah, I well, I I guess I'm I'm just jaded. Um, but <laughs> well, the the other thing is, you know, as you know, you go to these things and suddenly you see somebody you haven't seen in uh, you know a year or two or three or five or have never met, and you want to talk to them, and there just happens to be a lecture going on at the same time. So it's like, look, yeah. I'm not going to get it. I can watch this lecture on a DVD or something later if I want, but yeah. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to talk to this person again. So that's also part of it too. Mm-hmm. Another lecturer is Alice Druffel, who is actually Ann Druffel's daughter. Hmm. And apparently she's a uh, she's she's a member of the clergy uh, and choir director, uh, etc. However, um, the the lecture title "Notable UFO Cases and Invest and I, I I respect Ann Druffel. She was there in the trenches very early on, and I've talked to her and I've had her on my show, and I like her personally. She's a very nice person, mm-hmm. um, and I think she's did really important work. Um, Notable UFO Cases and Investigators, Highlights and Lessons for the Future. Uh, Alice is honored to speak on her mother's behalf about some of Ann Druffel's most notable cases. She will also present her own ideas on what UFO researchers have taught us about maintaining scientific integrity in global challenges facing humanity now. Um, I don't know about that last part, but I really do want to hear what she has to say about her mother's stuff. And then we got the normal people like Linda Howe and and, and, and Nick Pope and... uh, Mm -hmm. Travis Walton, Travis Walton, two people that were involved in the Travis Walton case are actually going to be there. His brother and mm-hmm. the, I guess, the officer that first um, uh, they first talked to, I, I think. 
Um, I might be wrong. Uh, Chuck Ellison, Hakten uh, Akodan from Turkey, who I'm sure uh, Farah knows whether she is friendly with him or not. I have no idea. But mm. they're actually it is it is an international UFO congress because they do bring people here from other countries, which is good. And um, yeah. maybe at some point they will have you speak there to keep it international. <laughs> you haven't spoken well, on anything th- yet. Come on. <laughs> but here's the thing, you know. I mean, the problem with this com- the, the 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 UFO conference is not is that it is not interdisciplinary enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh... I want I want to see Dennis McKenna. Yes. Talk, uh, uh, to have a conference there. Yeah. I want to see. Uh, God damn it! Maybe even Michael Shermer. You know, I mean, uh, it's not that I'm a fan of Michael Shermer, but you know, you have to have someone from the other side. Yes. Exactly. Other to, to to because otherwise you're only preaching to the goddamn choir. Yeah, let the person go up there and get their get get their asses booed. That's fine, yeah. but yeah. get them the hell up there. I've I've never really thought about that, but I I uh, on on reflection that you meant now that you mentioned, I absolutely agree with you. Get somebody in there sure. who nobody likes or or agrees with, as long as they have a um, coherent message that isn't just you people are full of crap, exactly, or you people are all stupid or whatever the hell it is like. Yeah. Look, this is a problem with some of the things that are going on here. I think you should look at it in this way. Here's what I have to prove that that you know some of you and some researchers aren't looking at certain things. I would love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would take a brave person to do it, or a stupid one, but <laughs> to get up in front of a very hostile audience or somewhat hostile and tell them these things. And that may, I hope that's the future of uh, some of this stuff. Get, get an intelligent, um, engaged, uh, s- I hate to use the word skeptic, but an intelligent, engaged person that is, that is not by all the stories and all the, all the research and disagrees with some of it and can address it point by point. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that Robbie, you know, is going to be like the, the guy that is going to rattle the cage, you know, and saying, look, people, you know, you have to address other ideas, you know, you have to uh, reframe the debate, you know, and you have to think that maybe you don't have all these UFO stuff figured out the way you think so. Yeah. I think he's changed the title of his lecture since the first time I saw it. It's on here now, Searching for Truth in All the Wrong Places. <laughs> a deeply personal, this is probably just what you were talking about, a deeply okay. personal presentation exploring that, hey, it says deeply personal, basically saying, look, this is my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, a lot of the people that come up there, it is basically their opinion. They don't really have anything exactly. to, you know, to, 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 to pin down what they say, although they say it's reality, although it's mostly opinion in, in, in some cases. Um, a deeply personal presentation exploring the lure of the UFO, how our beliefs can be exploited, and how we might more usefully seek to unravel a UFO mystery beyond simplistic notions of government disclosure. Hmm. Maybe he'll wear your uh, fuck disclosure shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got mine. It, it, I guess it got delivered to somebody else's house, and they left it. Finally, after you know a couple of weeks, they, somebody left it on my doorstep. I'm wearing it right now. I'm not lying. Yeah. You know what? You know, another thing that is sorely missing in these conferences is uh, roundtables. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because I think that it's so anachronic, the idea of 
having just one lecturer, you know, go and present his case, you know, have a few, you know, Q&A, whatever. But a roundtable, I think, is more dynamic, is more uh, where people get to really, you know, go and, 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 and actually, you know, have a, an engagement of, of, of seeing, okay, this is, this is what I think and uh, I'm going to pair it with this other person who is right, sitting right next to me and is not actually, you know, my enemy. You know, we're just exchanging ideas. Yeah. But that, that is the way. It's hard to find I, those people. Yeah, but why not? I mean, yeah. this is the way that, 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 that information should move, should move forward, you know. I mean, otherwise, otherwise you're just preaching to the choir. And I feel, I fear that is the reason why these conferences are not that useful anymore, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, the MUFON conference, the International MUFON conference, I fear that not more, not so much with the international UFO conference, with them, but with the others, they're just preaching to the choir. They're just one. They're they're catering to their audience. To mm-hmm. the, well, they kind of have to, otherwise they're going to lose money, which is unfortunate. But I think there's this is why you know I think this is kind of why there I go with the you know again. This is kind of why places like Esalen came into existence. Let's yeah. have a conference where it's not public. We don't have to make a profit, and we're talk, talking about things that um, are not popular. And these were things that yeah. were not popular with you know mainstream science, but maybe we're more into a spiritual uh, aspect of things. If you want to make those distinctions, which people always do, yeah. but um, I would advocate that there are there should be private more private conferences where the public is not invited or at least it's you know it's it's like an SSE conference where you're invited but you know you have to be a member of the thing and you know the, the reason for the group is very clear it's look at good um alternative viewpoints good counter arguments yeah. and engage in the kind of um quote unquote peer review that isn't really uh practiced another interesting thing would be to have a kind of a live peer review after each lecture like maybe have yeah. five, five lectures and then get you know four or five people up there who may agree or disagree with and have them discuss what's going on in the lecture at that time right after it's given. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be a really great idea too. Not with people that are going to start throwing chairs at each other or yell, but have a civilized <laughs> discussion. You know, give everybody a one beer or something and let them, let them go at it. <laughs> but just just something. Uh, a little less popular based. And the only problem with that is, and as people have pointed out before, is these things cost money. And the only way you can do these things is to get a bunch of people either to, you know, have a, uh, a uh, angel that just, you know, donates for this thing, or everybody puts in for it. It says, we're all going to meet here at this time and rent a hotel and one of the room, you know, one of the lecture rooms and just do this without making it an event, except for the people yeah. involved. And then yeah. things that come out of that, if they're good, they they spread out into the community and maybe take root and more things happen. I think there's a really good place for that. Obviously, Lawrence Rockefeller and, and Bigelow and people have sponsored these kind of things. But uh, none of this stuff got out because it's basically for them. Yeah. You know, it, it's, their, it's their information and they, they say they're entitled to it, and they are. But it'd be nice if this, uh, this format could be followed and then, you know, the proceedings could be published for people to read. 
like the MIT conference long ago in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. I, don't, I can't remember who. Uh, I don't think John Mack uh, organized it. Well, he wasn't at MIT. Excuse me. He was at Harvard. But yeah. I can't remember who organized it. But basically, it was a private conference with a bunch of different researchers. Mario went. Mario Pozzolini had a, had a presentation there. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of... Uh, I can't think of anything right now, but many of the things that we talk about now and came out in subsequent uh, uh, years, I think, had their genesis at that conference. There was a book written about it, too. A, a journalist went to the conference and wrote about it. Oh, yeah. Actually, it wasn't a – it wasn't a uh, – it didn't make fun of it. It actually took it seriously and took a lot of the researchers seriously in what they were talking about. Yeah. So that kind of thing would be excellent. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's happening right now except for the – you know, the the, the – uh, Private ones in in uh, France and I think Britain, but yeah. the, the only ones I can think of right now are the French ones. Yeah. That kind of thing. I don't I I don't consider it elitist. I think it's you know let's get let's let's get some stuff on the table here with people that really mean it and see what we can hash out. Well, I'm sure the people you know who have been invited to private conferences, you know, that that, that sponsored by you know uh, private uh, donors. And, you know, nothing comes out of it, you know, that is, you know, for the benefit of the of the public. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's something that it could be so difficult to 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 elaborate or to to to, you know, yeah. make. And why could I mean, why? Go ahead. I mean, for example, Let's, for, let's take, for example, Paramania. You know, I mean, this is a group of people that go and, 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 and go to a specific place and get together, first of all, to have a good time, you know, and to hang out. Right. But there's also, you know, an ulterior motive out of it. And, and there's also, you know, there's also uh, conferences of some people who go and give lectures there, you know, and, and maybe... You know, it wouldn't be so outrageous to say, you know, let's have all the people who came here to go and write something, you know, uh, 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 some kind of con- essay out of these, you know, conclusions that, you know. Yeah, what did you get out of this? What affected you? What did, was your mind changed? What do you think the exactly. direction should be? That kind of, that that's an excellent idea. And yeah, the, I, go ahead. And, and and yeah, and you put that there, and you and you publish it, and you uh, and you make it public. You know, you give, you give, give it give it out free, you know, <laughs> and it will be you know something something new, you know, a, a new way to exchanging information and to generate new ideas. I don't think that 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 is so you know difficult to to make. No, I don't think so either at all, and. I was also going to give the example of um, there are academic and scientific conferences going on all the time. Yeah. Nobody really hears about the results of any of this stuff, except when one or two or three or whoever of the presenters, as a result of presenting this stuff, um, get some funding or get some uh, or make a breakthrough or something like that. Then we hear about it. Yeah, I don't see why that um, model can't be followed with some with some part of UFO research. Yeah, uh, just keep going. You know, keep these things private until some breakthrough is made, and say, "Look, this is what we found," or here's something important we think is important or could be helpful. 
this is how we came and be open with that information um, yep. and see if it's helpful. The mm-hmm. problem is with people is they get very cliquish and clannish and selfish about their results and it doesn't work. But at a scientific or academic conference, as I think Diana pointed out and a few other people have that have been on the show, it is a commandment of the uh, of their fields that they, one, give credit to everything that ridiculously uh, documented uh, credit for all the ideas they've gotten and all the references they've made and where they got them from, and also to present quite openly, you know, how they came to their conclusions and what they think, how viable they Mm -hmm. think they are. But 100% open sharing of information. Yeah. Maybe these things should be published, but, you know, probably 10 or less percent of people that are into UFOs will even understand what the hell is going on with it because at some point it gets so bogged down which it should be in minutiae and esoteric detail that most people either don't understand or don't care. But the implications of some of these things are, you know, like you'll have a um, blackboard full of equations. It makes no sense to me or you or 99.9% of the population. But the implications of all those equations on the blackboard and what comes on the right side of the equal sign may have great implications for a lot of us and be fairly easily explainable and understandable to most. So mm-hmm. maybe that, you know, that's my model. All those, uh, the, bla- the blackboard and the equations are all worked out in these, in these private forums. But if the, uh, if the equation comes to something and it comes to a viable theory that seems to be workable, put that out in the public and see if what people can do with it and what they think of it. And, you know, that, that kind of freedom of, of information. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's painful to, uh, Acknowledge that the UFO community is still too goddamn insular. You know, even after you know twenty years of of the World Wide Web. Yeah. I mean, here I am. I'm a Mexican. You know that uh, manages to be fairly fluent in English. And the problem is that sometimes you know people come to me and say, "Oh, you know what what's happening in in in." in ufology in, in Mexico or, or Latin America. And, and sometimes I have to say, well, I have no idea. You know, I wish that I could be more of a bridge between, you know, people in Latin America, people in the, in the, in, in the Hispanic world, you know, in mm-hmm. the Spanish speaking world yeah. that could use me as a, as, as a, as a, as a way to, to bring more information, more cases, on on more new ideas to the likes of uh, of you guys, you know, in in, in the in the English speaking world, right? You know, because the way I see it, there's still too much of an insularity between the people who speak English and the people who speak Spanish, and and you know, obviously, there's also a gulf between you know. We don't know what the hell is going on in, in the UFO community in, in in countries like, for example, India or China. You know, we don't know what's happening what's happening there right now. Yeah. So it's kind of like sad, you know. I mean, we have this wonderful technology, the, the World Wide Web. You know, we have instant communication with any place in the world, and we still are not making the most out of it 
So yeah, we're I, still I, uh, um, limited by geography, which shouldn't be a problem anymore. It's not a problem for exactly. us right now. I couldn't have done this ten years ago with exactly. you on the on Skype. Yeah, I gotten a fairly long discussion with somebody on the Paracast. His name is Randall. I don't know what his last name is, but he's one of the Paracast mm. forum people. And we were talking about what what model for UFO research might work. And he reminded me of, because um, I was saying, you know, small groups, small groups, uh, sharing stuff on the on the web. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, well, don't you think there's, a, there's some call for maybe a larger group? And I said, no. Top-down mm-hmm. doesn't work. And he said, well, what about my group, the uh, USI Calgary group? What I, my idea and my, my model is there's sort of a loose confederation of a bunch of different people doing things, and, uh, and uh, they communicate with each other through being in this group. And I said, actually, that's something I actually suggested a while back. Have MUFON be a, um, not, a, not a top-down organization, but more like an organizing organization. Uh, an organizing uh, or uh, uh, authority, which does not dictate how people should do things, what they should be doing, mm. or any rules, except mm. for kind of keeping people that are unruly and uh, or I was about to say crazy, but the thing is, that people that are unruly, unreasonable, and uh, not willing to listen to anybody else. That mm-hmm. that that cuts out crazy people. Mm-hmm. Um, as as kind of a of a buffer and a adjudicating uh, body, that could work. Um, I think, in fact, it probably would work great. We're members of MUFON. Well, who's who runs MUFON? Oh, I don't know. It's just we just communicate through them, and they mm. you know and they correlate, collate maybe correlate our data, publish it so that people can see it, put it up on their website, whatever. But they're not telling us what to do or how to do anything or taking our cases away from us or anything like that. Yeah. Part of the problem with that is that most people want somebody from the top telling them what to do. Uh, yeah. Which well, is unfortunate. The they shouldn't be in UFO research then. Yeah. So I think that model could work if it's uh, applied properly. I just get very suspicious when people say, we need a new UFO organization that does it the right way. Well, what's the right way? Your way, huh? <laughs> and they can say whatever they want, but it's always, you know, I want to be the boss of this UFO thing. And You've automatically doomed it to failure if you want to run a you. It's like somebody that wants to be in politics. It's like that the uh, the thing in um, <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that anybody that wants to be in in power is is uh, automatically should not be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's the same thing with the UF with UFO study. Anybody that wants to run a UFO organization um, in a top down way where they have a big national thing and they're at the top of the pyramid and all that. No, that's completely wrong, and it's doomed to failure. At least from my point of view, is absolutely doomed to failure. No matter how many wonderful rules they have, yeah. yeah. So a benevolent, uh, even not a dictatorship, but just kind of a benevolent organizing uh, f- uh, force might be more like what what I would think of. Yeah, a guild. Yeah, kind of like that. Sort of like that. <laughs> you follow just guild. <laughs> Greg has stumbled across, uh, Jeff says, Greg has stumbled across the Saul Alinsky model of UFO community organizing. I don't know who Saul Alinsky is. I'd have to look it up. Uh, no ma- power is always a problem, no matter who has it. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to some- find somebody that wants to run something or organize something that doesn't also want to, char- to, t- to uh, what's the word, uh, to uh, rule it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, this is a problem. So, you know, the, the the, the the problem would be to find some organization that is um, supportive um, 
but not uh, dictatorial and find some excluded middle uh, position in there that uh, honors both sides of that. Like, no, you can't get too crazy or, uh, on us, but, you know, too, that idea sounds crazy, but please tell us more because it sounds, you know, it, support the idea, please. I don't know who could do that. I'd like to think me and my friends could do that, but the automatically you're just I'm just thinking the same way everybody else does. If me and my friends were in charge, everything would be great. I don't even believe that for myself. <laughs> everybody thinks well, they're right, you know. Well, the, pro- the problem is that people think that they need to organize themselves into bigger groups, you know, yeah. organ- <laughs> organizations because they believe that they that is the way to get enough resources yeah. to to properly study cases or pro- to properly you know uh, run you know experiments or whatever yeah. you know <laughs> and and that is the that that's what then that's when the problems arises you know because you know in order to attract funds you have to you know sooner or later you have to create some kind of like uh uh, I don't know, organization or, or, or a hierarchy, you know, of, of things. And a hierarchy uh, inherently demands some kind of like a, a doctrine, you know, a dogma. Yeah. Of this is how we run things, you know. This is, you know, this is how we think things we should do, should be done. And, you know, things that are, are counter to the way that, you know, that are against the, the way we run things, you know, are going to be, you know, kicked out or, or going to be belittled or going to be <coughs> eradicated or being censored. And, and that's a problem, you know. That's probably the reason why, you know, maybe, you know, at the beginning – Organizations like I don't know Mufon or APRO or NICAP, you know, are more democratic and they're more loose and they're more you know open-minded and and they're w- willing to entertain different ideas. But sooner or later, you know, there has to come a, a, a some kind of like you know backbone. a faction takes over. Yeah, faction takes over and say you well sorry you know this is. This is the way we have to run things. Otherwise, you know, you know, go and, and make your own organization, right? Yeah, which is and, exactly and people, what uh, what uh, uh, Walt Andrus did. Exactly, you know, that's when he uh, left APRO and, and created his own organization, with this, which was Newfound, you know. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I'm sure that in the years to come, we're going to see people who. Are going to leave, move on, are going to make their own little, you know, you well, they already are. Such. Yeah, obviously. Which I think is wonderful. The only problem, yes. and I've I have mentioned this before, is what do all the people do that that that's their one outlet for being engaged with people on this subject? Um, yeah. You know, it, without having to you know spend all this time, which a lot of people don't have, organizing and getting people together and all that. It takes time to do this, so there's going to be a lot less people actually doing it than are involved in MUFON. And that's unfortunate because it's nice to have a group, whether you organize it or not, whether you, excuse me, agree with it or not, whatever, to have a forum for people to go and meet people of like mind in the local area and talk to them and come together on the subject. 
that's one of the few things left. I think MUFON has a uh, is um, if it had to be stay around, that would be one of the the reasons. I've had more fun talking to people at the conferences at at speaking dates just about various other things that weren't even on the agenda and seeing them talk yeah. to each other about it than me being the person speaking there, whatever I'm speaking about. I hear about things I never would have heard about. I hear opinions I never would have heard about. Um, I hear disagreements that I never really thought of, just things like that. And that, to me, is a kind of a bad reason. If I would say get rid of the large groups, that's one of the few things I would say that would be a really bad result of this is uh, a lot of people will be left out in the cold. I don't know if that's too bad or what. Maybe we can keep these things. It's the other thing, people say, let's get rid of this and let's do that. You know, my advice is start your own thing, do your own thing, and burrow into it yourself and find a few people that are interested like you are. They don't even have to live near you. There's the Internet. If you've got a connection, yep. you, you can find these people and start doing it. And people have done this. You and I know people have done it, and it's still going on. I think it's going to change things from the bottom up. I had a question for you. How did you come up with the cover for the contact ebook that uh, you did for us? Because that's one I don't think we talked about at all, really. I think that that formed fully, well, not fully, but I think you had most of it sort of in your head when you started showing us the first designs. It's, well, it's difficult to say, you know, where where does the, you know, eureka moment comes, you know, it's kind of like... Yeah, it's probably these... not a moment, it just accretes on you. This is a good idea, and then things the good ideas start sticking maybe or or maybe it's something that you know you go and have a walk and say oh yeah that's that's something that i that i could use and at, at first i was thinking about using like you know school you know kid blocks you know the, the alphabet blocks in order to to make you know the 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 idea of a, a is for Adamski, you know, it seems it, it felt like a very childish or, or playful kind mm-hmm. of like idea to explore. Now I remember I follow I follow someone on 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 Facebook that on his Facebook like logo or image they had the the uh, an image of Orthon. That uh, I think that was that came from a, a French comic book that spoke about you know the the alleged encounter between Adamski and <laughs> and, and Orthon, right? And I remember seeing that I that image, you know, that it, it, it's very almost you know archetypical, you know, the, the, this emissary, you know, raising his arm. You know, like, you know, kind of like as a, a, a salute, and also like, a, you know, I don't know, kind of like a like a position of power. I don't know, and it was it's something that hello, people of Earth. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> Greetings, people uh, of Earth. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- at one point, I so- I thought, you know, I could use that. I could I could use that because, you know, in the idea trying to capture the concept of contact with a being from another world, right? You know, and, and the concept of, of, of the contact is, which is, you know, these beings from another world, you know, they're like us, you know, they're like a better ber- version of us, ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, you know, like uh, higher avatars of ourselves. And I, I guess that that started to 
boiled up inside my 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 knock and I say okay I I I'm going to try to use that and I'm going to try to use that in a more simplistic way because you know I, I also I, I'm always striving for simplicity when it comes to design you know especially when it comes to this design of a, a, a book cover mm-hmm. you know I, I'm thinking you know my client or, or the people who are going to see this, maybe they will see it for one second, you know, tops. And yeah. they have to grab their attention, you know, in less than that. You know, I'm going to, I have to grab their attention and say, oh, what's that? You know, and, and prevent them from changing the, the web page or from clicking the button to, to, another, to another hyperlink and stay there. And 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 I, that's why mm, simplicity is always like the holy grail, and at the same time, it's so difficult in design. You know, it's 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 kind of like uh, something that is unattainable. But then, so in trying to to uh, wrap this up, try to use that, and at the same time, you know, not going for the easy thing that is, you know, to show. I don't know. For some so for some reason, I'm really hesitant of in a UFO book to actually showing a UFO. You know, that's right. kind of like because it's it's kind of like too obvious. The easiest thing to do, right? You know, it's yeah. kind of so lame. You know, it's it trying to to see. Okay, how can I how can I talk about UFOs and and contactees without going to the Easiest thing, which is to show the goddamn, you know, flying saucer. saucer. Yeah, yeah. So trying to boil it down to 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 the to the simplest elements of it, and I think that it 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 came out in idea. Okay, so so the 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 ray, you know, the, the 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 ray coming out of the 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 flying saucer. Can become an A, mm-hmm. the A from Adamski, and and uh, and can that can highlight the 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 figure of of this you know the Venusian being that is hailing you, and it kind of it started from there you know and, and trying to use it in a very um, two dimensional and graphical way and I, I I'm really really happy about it you know and, and some aspects of it you don't really know where it, they come from, like for example, the use of the, the the color teal. You know, I don't know why I decided from the get go and say, yeah, I'm going to use that kind of color. You know, in, in, well, in, it's in a, the color. it's a 50s, 60s color, and also as um, I pointed out, and I don't know if we discussed this, um, but um, a lot of the contactee books have that same color scheme because they could only afford two colors or three. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got that teal color, which is a 50s, 60s color, which is also um, prevalent on contact e-books, and that yellow, which is also mm-hmm. prevalent on the covers of contact e-books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I, I found that really interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't the, the white. And the, actually, there is no black on the front cover, except in the maybe no. in this. Uh, no, there isn't any. But um, you know, the use of the negative space, like the white. To, for the for the for the beam and the letters and the is and all that that's uh and shading for the Adamski that's also amazing too 
Um, if you can answer this quickly, Jeff said, I'd like to know RPJ's uh, artistic influences. The latest cover imagery and fonts is a bit of nationalistic propaganda feel from the early days, which I like. It's funny. We talked about that before you started designing it. I think you, I think both Adam and I sent you like propaganda posters and stuff. Maybe. I mean, I, I made my, my research, uh, you know, and, and, and I, and I <coughs> tried to, to find what kind of fonts were used, you know, during the fifties and the sixties. And I said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to use that as a way to convey, you know, the, the a, a feel, a taste of, of that era, you know, without actually, you know, trying to mimic it. Yeah. You know, necessarily because that, that, that would have been, you know, not necessarily a, a good thing. Yeah, and it's too so, obvious in the way an Adamski saucer would be. Yeah, what exactly. I see here is kind of a a modern updating of that kind of thing, where the the fonts and the the, the design are very are very contemporary, but the the feel of it is is uh, more vintage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I would let this run on, but um, Peter just texted me and said, "Ready." So, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever met Peter Robbins? No, I haven't. Mm. I was going to meet him uh, two years ago, but I decided not to go to the Paradigm Symposium. I got and, it. Yeah, and, and and he going there, you know, was one of the main reasons that I wanted yeah. to. But you know, well, you know, life life goes in different directions yeah. that you just, that you wish them to. Uh, <coughs> I, I have found over the years that I don't agree with them in a lot of ways, uh, but. He's such he's such a gentleman and a nice person that you can disagree with him about anything, and he could not care less if you disagree with him. It's totally exactly. fine with him, and you can't be you can't you can't say anything against that. You'd have to be a total asshole to, to uh, react to that negatively, no matter yeah. what the you know what, no matter what the uh, differences are. So, what song would you, you get the second chance for the song? Okay, how about "Via uh, Lactea" by Soe? It will be Z O E. Oh, Zoe, and what? How do you spell the name of the song? Via Lactea. D I A. Yeah, V I A L A C T E A. Via Lactea, yeah. Oh, Via. Via. Oh, Via, Via. Okay, as in life. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll play Via Lactea by Zoe. Where can people look at your stuff and go order T-shirts and stuff? Because uh, uh, Miguel's designing some some really cool T-shirts, and I'm still waiting for one for Radio Mysterioso from him, but that'll come. Oh well, uh, they can uh, obviously. My main place to, to where they can find me is uh, the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. I also write for Mysterious Universe occasionally. You know, mysteriousuniverse.org, and. <laughs> You know, my uh, personal website is absorbedbydesign.com. I also have a, a, a Sassel store, you know, a, a, pl- a place on Sassel where I, I'm trying to sell uh, original T-shirts. I'm trying to kind of like make fortune culture, you know, hip the way that, you know, geek culture became hip like 20 years ago, you know, let's like it's time for our culture to become, you know, hip, and I hope that I will be able to to be a part of it. Excelente. Thank you. 
Gracias. Uh, gracias. Uh, and I will. Um, here's Via Lactea. Mm-hmm. Is this part of it? Mm, oh, there it is. So. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. 